Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means taking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your own reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, it's Rob Moore here and welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. Now, I see my job in giving you the best value in this podcast is not just interviewing really successful people who are well known, but really interesting, successful people that do amazing work that you may not know about. Now, this is going to blow you away. So, Nikki Perfect, for 30 years, she was in the police and she worked her way up through. She'll tell you her story, so I won't reveal all the best bits. But she got into hostage negotiation and suicide prevention. Now, she actually came on many of our courses a good few years ago. I became friends with her and I was just really inspired by her work and what she did. And I think hopefully she would say she was by us too. And I said to her, I've got to interview you. I just know there's so much we can learn in business from you. She said, I can't. I've signed the Secrecy Act. You have to wait till I retire. And I've been waiting for years and years and years for her to retire. And finally, she's just retired literally this week. And I got her in. So Nikki's CV is huge. She has done so many amazing things in her career. Forgive me for not doing it full justice, but this is what she did. She started in the armed response unit and actually she was the first female inspector externally recruited into that role. She then moved up to hostage and crisis negotiation. She did that for over 10 years. She worked at the hostage and crisis unit at New Scotland Yard. She led the national negotiation training. She then went into hostage and crisis negotiation across the world. She's trained over a thousand officers in hostage and crisis negotiation. She's been involved in international law enforcement. She's even trained the FBI. I could go on and on, but I think we need to get straight into an amazing interview with the amazing and lovely Nikki Perfect. Nikki, thanks for doing the interview. It's my pleasure. When did we meet? Five, six years ago, would you say? Probably a bit longer. So I originally did one of your property courses about... Gosh, nine years ago. Nine years yeah, ago. About nine I don't years. think I could grow a beard back then. No, I probably couldn't. No. Nine yeah. years ago. And um, once I started to get to know you, we got to know each other really well. You know, like I, I didn't hide the fact that I'd love us to do this interview one day. Yeah. And back then, I didn't even have the podcast, and I didn't even know how it would be. I thought, oh, Nikki's got to write a book. You know, she could really teach a lot of business people the skills. So um, obviously, I've done the intro, but you know, just if you just let everyone know kind of what your job role and title and what you did was for 30 years of your life. Yeah, so I've been um, a police officer for the last 30 years of my life and last decade I was a hostage and crisis negotiator and the last five years of that I worked on the full-time team at New Scotland Yard um, and I was the director of UK National Negotiation Training. And um, congratulations on your retirement. Thank you very much. Obviously you loved your job. If yes, I did. No, <laughs> um, I did. I, yeah. I did love my job very yeah. much, yeah. But what are you going to do for another 30, 40, 50 years of your life? So I am going to bring what I learnt over those last 30 years, especially the last decade, and yeah. bring it into everyday life. So yeah. help people with relationships, help people, especially with behaviour change, where right. they're stuck and they can't move forward, yeah. and, and bring that into a sort of coaching arena. 
and I think that's a great gift. Um, I have done a couple of podcasts on sort of the depression and loneliness you can feel yeah. in business as an entrepreneur. And when I put those out in the videos out, I've probably had 250 people reach out to me. Yeah. Some people even saying just my podcasts have saved their life. I had a call this morning with someone, I'm probably doing about four calls a week. Mm. And I just think, you know, I'm definitely not as experienced as you in that world, but I just think what a great gift that is to be able to give to people. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about the gifts in a minute, because I want to get into some <laughs> real nuts and bolts here. So how does one get into hostage negotiation? Did you, is it a dream you wanted to have or was it a progression through the, f through the force? Okay, so when I first joined, I, um, I'm of a slight stature and it's funny because when I was retiring on Thursday, I was looking back at my personnel file and yeah. some of the things it said in there were like, um, needs to be more assertive, is of very slight stature. Oh, wow. Probably things you'd never be able to say these days, but yeah. we're talking about 30 years ago. And I was always very good with people. I always liked people. Yeah. And so I would always sort of talk to people, listen to what they had to say. And I ended up on the firearms unit. And at that time, there wasn't very many women on the firearms unit. And I was there for about three and a half years. And if I'm honest, I was a bit of a round peg in a square hole. And I'm sure any of my colleagues who are listening <laughs> to this will go, yeah, actually, Nick, you weren't that great as a firearms officer. Yeah. I wanted to do it for the challenge and to... Um, keep pushing, keep pushing myself. And whilst yeah. I was there, I met a lady called Helen Ball, who is now the Assistant Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police. And she was a negotiator. And she said, hey, Nick, why don't you become a negotiator? I think you have the right skills for it. I think you'd really enjoy it. What skills do you need then? Uh, patience. Yeah. Listen okay, to I'll people. Okay, I'll be rubbish then. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, just kind of waiting your own turn. Yeah. It's not, when I, when I talk about negotiation, when I teach it, I, always, I have this phrase that says it's not about you because it's not about you. And that is probably the hardest part of being a negotiator is to put everything that you believe to be true and that you value and that you hold and put it to one side right. and just be in the moment with the other person. Yeah, so patience, waiting for your turn, caring about people. Yeah. It's funny, I guess the Hollywood movies don't depict a, a hostage negotiation situation or person like that. Mm. Uh, it, are the films like the reality? So. In some respects, because time is of the essence and a lot of the negotiations that we do, and there's a lot of people that are pushing you to move it forward. But in the reality, no, because it takes a lot longer yeah. than it, it does to sort of, that you see in the film. And, the fi and it would be a very boring film. I was saying to you just outside, yeah. my first ever negotiation was eight hours long where the guy didn't talk to me. So you just so, sat there for eight hours? Well, I stood by his car in the pouring rain, just oh. hoping to get some. So you were stood in the pouring rain for eight hours? Yeah, he was sat in his car. Yeah, and, and, and what was it in a position where he was thinking of taking his own life? Is that what it was? So, no, he, um, he'd been involved in an... He'd just been released from prison. He'd been in an argument with his ex-partner, who he had a child with. They had another fight. He beat her up and took the child, who was only about this big, um, away with him. Right. So, yeah. And you were trying to get him and the child out of the car? Yeah, safely. And, yeah, I, interesting what you just said there, safely, yeah. Uh, so you had to just stand there for eight hours? Yeah. And, uh, you know, like... Because you said, wait for your turn. Yeah. It's a bloody long time to wait it for your is. turn. Yeah. God, imagine people in this, you know, everyone, if, if we were doing it, everyone would be on social media, Instagram, <laughs> Facebook, you know, like who waits for eight hours and does nothing. And, and yeah. I, some of those skills, I guess, of patience and waiting, they've probably been forgotten a bit in this digital world. Would you? Would yeah, you very much so. And I, it's funny you said, I was talking to somebody yesterday, um, I do some coaching in a gym and uh, around behaviour change. And we she, she was asking me, well, so what is the similarity between coaching and negotiation? I said, well, apart from the fact that in negotiation, most people don't want to speak to me to start with, so mm -hmm. I have to get over that barrier. But it's being present and 
if you think about your own intimate relationships and your friendships and when they're at their best, it's because you're present in that moment yes. and you're really with them. I have an 11 year old in my life and she knows, she knows when I'm not present yeah. and she'll be like, Nick, Nick, oh, I'm talking to you. Kids, can't yeah. They? yeah. Yeah. And Very I, much so. I, I think we've lost that a little bit. Yeah. And I think people can sense that mm. more and more, you know, like, you know, if someone's with you or they're distracted, yeah. you know, how you feel when someone pulls their phone out, when you're trying to talk to them and, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so let's go back to Hollywood then. Yes. So the time frame is obviously very different and they've got to edit the film. Yep. Um, sometimes in Hollywood it's all like guns and aggression and fights. My guess is it's not like that in real life so much. It's certainly not like that in the UK. Yeah. Um, uh, we don't have as many firearms in the UK. Obviously we have armed officers, especially in London, which is where I was based. Yeah. But we, it's not all the guns are blazing all the time. No. We, we're very, especially in the UK, we, we like to talk to people and yeah. it, it's, a, it's another option. It's the safest option. Right, and it also sounds like, you know, because I also I watch a lot of American documentaries, yeah. films that are supposed to be based on real life, and I love. But I always think like they talk to each other so bluntly and rudely, and they're just like, you know, because it makes good TV, doesn't it? Mm. Everyone having a go at everyone yeah. and whatever else. I watched that. Um, what was the one about Unabomber? Did you watch that? No. That was really interesting. You should watch that. And you know the way that the the, the boss talks to his. Um, subordinate, they're just so rude and blunt. I think, do they really talk to each other mm. like that in real life? Is that how you get hit ahead in your career? No. No. Well, some, Not people, in the UK. some people do talk to each other like that. But they ain't going to go very no. far, are they? Because you... I mean, if I went upstairs and just because I'm the boss went to my staff, do this, do that, yeah. no, get lost, they're, they're going to fire me. Yeah. And so it's the same skills. Yeah. It's, it's just bringing those, those same skills that I've learned over the last decade into kind of everyday situations, including being the boss, yeah. being a member of the team, being a parent especially, yeah. rather being, than being driven emotionally, taking time out to think logically and just listen. Yeah. So when you're in positions of long waiting, mm. silence like eight, eight hours, do you, you know, do you ever think I've got a chance here and you try and engineer the conversation? Are you there every now and again basically going, look, let's talk, I'm here, or are you just waiting to see, sense a sign from them that they're ready? No, I'm constantly talking to him, to be honest, and f- looking for a trigger, looking for a motivator. I know you're very, oh. very big into values and beliefs. Yes. And that drives us all. So I'm never going to be able to get you to do something you don't want to do. So you're looking to find out what's most important to me in my life. Yeah. And then link. And how do you do that when someone's not talking to you for eight hours? Are you, are you looking for body signals, reads, or? Yeah. And, and anything that might just give you a clue. You what only... kind of things give you a clue? So somebody might look at you. So if I say something, they might smile or they might look at you or... If, um, so you've got Bobby in your life, haven't yes. you? So, and you know him very well. Yes. And I bet there are signs when he's trying to be really cross with you and he doesn't want to smile at dad and he's going to like look away. Yeah. And, but and you'll, you'll know, yeah, yeah, you'll know how to get him back. Yeah. It just takes longer time with somebody that you don't know. Yeah. And that's why, again, it's so important to be in that moment with that person. Yeah. And do you ever, as it's taken so long, start to doubt yourself in that moment? Or have you trained yourself just to be completely clear of all judgment in your mind? Mm. Because I could, sorry to just jump yeah, in, that's right. but I can imagine like if, you know, you perceive a negotiation needs to go away, which is probably a bad thing to do because you're mm. setting an unrealistic expectation. But if you feel like it's not getting anywhere, can you start to talk to yourself and have doubts? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Human, human beings, yeah. that little voice that pops in your head that says, that, you know, the old um, imposter syndrome, yes. yeah, what you're doing, they're not going to yeah. get them out, they're not listening to you, all of that. And right. it's, a, it's about managing that voice in your head and especially the judgments because we all have our own moral judgments, whether yeah. we want to or not. Right, and so you've judging. got to park away what you think about judging the situation and treat this person. By the way, correct me if my yeah. what I'm saying is wrong. Are, are you trying to actually completely get rid of what who this person is and what their values and morals are and just treat them as 
a unique individual person. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So everybody is a unique individual person. Yes. I keep telling everyone. Yeah, that. I know. We, you all, do, we yeah. all forget it. Yeah, we, we do. Yeah, and we don't know what they've been through. No. I know a lot of the time in the office upstairs when maybe some of our team are struggling. You know, mm. they're not quite up to performance or whatever. And you know what? In the early days, you think, you work for me. Come on, sort it out. That's your natural entrepreneur, mm. pushy way. If you take the time to listen and care about them, 95% of the time there's something going on in their life. Yep. Problem with a partner, difficulty at home, mm-hmm. uh, their house purchase fell through. And if actually if you find that out and care about that, mm. you, you can really win them over. Um, so, yeah, understanding them and you know, never assuming or no. judging. That's right. And, and, and is that hard not to do, or have you got trained yourself to do that well? Um, it's hard. I've, I would say I've trained myself pretty well to do it, yeah. but I've, I'm doing it all the time. Because that's not, what our brain because does. Because that's what our brain does. Yeah, because that's to filter all this amount of information. Yeah. So as soon as I go anywhere, just the environment where we are, I'm like judging. I'm making judgment calls all the time yeah. based on my experience, based yeah. on my policing experience, based on my outside of life experience all yeah. the time. And and it's about exactly what you said, that people are people ha- are going through so many different things that we don't know about. And we have these polite conversations, these, I call them the tip of the iceberg conversations, yeah. that are not honest, yeah. they're learnt conversations. So we know how to say in polite company, hey, how are you, what's happening, yeah. really nice to see you, la-di-da, and off we go on our own journeys. But we very rarely stop unless we know somebody really well and go, hey, you're telling me you're okay, but I'm looking at you and there's just something not right with you today. Mm. What can I do to help? Yeah, because yeah, you, know, like you see all these people walking around and like, I've heard apparently, and this is some of these things I've been hearing, I listen mm. to a lot of podcasts myself, apparently three and four women have been abused in some way. And you mm. just like, think walking down the street, three and four women, that's just horrific. Yeah. Um, yeah, wow. Okay, so um, how do you pre- prepare yourself mentally for mm. a situation? Mm-hmm. You know, is there, is, have you got a routine? Is there some way you prepare yourself? Because I, I know I'd be nervous. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, there's a lot at stake. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, I'm nervous for everyone that I go to. Yeah. Uh, or went to, I should say. But, mm. yeah, always, always nervous. Um, preparing always. So, y- you know, in anything in life, if you're self-aware and you can prepare, then it will it will help you. There's mm. that saying which escapes my mind now. It's being prepared and preparing to fail. or But yeah. but making sure that you, you are ready. And people are different. Everybody you speak to is different. So... It's talking to somebody in crisis is actually not that different from talking to some to to somebody who might be sitting on a train or a tube or a member of staff who is having a problem at home. The only yeah. difference is is they've got to a point whereby they can't see a future. Yeah. And they don't know what to do and they're in the decision making process. Yeah. But the same skills apply to everybody that you that you meet. Yeah. So the 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 preparation is what am I going to say? What am I going to say? What do I know about this person? And if I don't know anything, what what am I going to say? Am I going to turn up and I going to say, "Hey, I'm Nick. I'm a police officer. I'm here to help." Or what happens if they hate the police? Yeah. Or if if I if um I help at Scouts, so am I going to be the parent, the adult at Scouts, or am I going to come down to their level? Yeah. So how am I going to get over those initial hurdles to start with? And is that based on, do you get to do a lot of preparation and research? You, when you go into a situation, have you got a team that are providing you a bit of like a profile on them? So there are, yeah, there's loads of police resources. So it's not just you, there's, yeah. there's lots going on. But quite often we'll talk to people who we don't know very much about at all right. to start with. And is there a reason for that? What, what, why wouldn't you get like a profile on someone to get to know 
what they're like really well. So if there was somebody on Westminster Bridge looking to uh, standing on the wrong side of the railings and nobody knows anything about them, they're right. just there. So sometimes you just can't yeah. find the information. No, and somebody phones you up and says there's somebody on the wrong side of the railings on and the bridge. And you've just got to get there. Yeah. Right. And then all your answers are actually in the person anyway. Yeah. Because I think sometimes for me personally, this is my belief, that when we find out information about other people, it judges, it makes us judge them. Yeah. And we automatically make assumptions about people rather than just finding out what they're really like. Yeah. Yeah, because the call I had this morning with a chap, um, my experience of people when they get depressed, whatever you want to yeah. call it, or to that point, is, is that um, they've got to the point where they can't see a, a positive future. You know, they've lost hope. Um, and so, it's, it's you know, I do these calls out of my desire to give back. I yeah. always let them know I'm not trained, other than 11 years of business experience and being in debt and being a bit of a mess up yeah. in my life before. But I always think my job is to just get them to see a better future. If they can see something, you know, that, that is actually worth living for. Mm. So this chap, you know, his words, his body language were just gone. You know, he was basically crying on the phone. And I got him laughing about a third of the way through. And of course, so he wanted to talk to me. So it's much easier in your situation. Yeah. Um, is that the case in your situation where they've got to the point where they've just lost hope and your job is to give them something to see? Yes and no. So give us some examples of both. Oh gosh, right. So a lot of people will have a couple of things that will happen to them. So I, so people will have a death in the family. So they're dealing with a loss and that loss is very painful for them. So they're like, okay, do you know what? I've got this loss at home, but it's okay because I'm going to be able to go to work and have a conversation at work with people. They go into work and they're made redundant or they're being bullied at work. And now they've got two things to deal with. And then if you add a third thing onto that, like they get diagnosed with an illness, where do you go from there? Suddenly you've got all these things that are just so happening on top hope. of you. You've lost hope. Yeah. Yeah, you're experiencing a loss. And so because you're internalising it all the time and not talking about it, then you don't see the way out. Like, like you were saying, you lose hope. Your body languages change. Um, I'm not medically qualified at all. I see a lot of people who have depression. I've worked with a, an amazing organisation called Hear Us, who are a charity for mental health service users. And I've done a lot of work with them and we talk a lot. When you, when you talk out loud, we know that when you talk out loud, it helps you to see a bigger picture. And also, what's stored in comes out of your body. Yeah. I think it's catharsis to talk. Yeah. I make a living out of talking. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Karen. No, no. Yeah, yeah. And you're, you're right. And when somebody reflects that back to you without any judgment, without telling you what to do, then you can hear it back and it's like, yeah. whoa, hang on a sec. I'm beginning to see now that there is, perhaps there is some hope. Yeah. Uh, well, y the other thing I've learned really early doors is that if I, if I turn up and talk to you, if you're in crisis and you're on the edge and you think that nobody cares about you, and that's an honest held belief. Yeah. So beliefs and values are incredibly important yeah. in everyday life. And I know you, I know you yeah. get that. Yeah. And, um, and they say, nobody cares about me. And my automatic reaction to show empathy is, yeah, I care about you. And the immediate response I'm likely to get back is, you don't even know me. Why yeah. would you say that? Yeah. Now flip, flip that over. So Meg comes home from school and she'll say, I've got no friends at school. And I say, yeah, of course you have, because as a parent, I want to wrap you up and tell you that life is, life is good and it's going to be okay. In both occasions, I've given you my opinion. I haven't reflect back, gosh, you sound really lonely. And with Meg, gosh, you sound like you've had a really rubbish day. It's funny, they um, 
parenting experts teach that yeah. with kids, yeah. rather than telling them back, you know, just say, I understand, and then just say, oh, you know, and re- repeat back how, you, how yeah. they feel. And why, why does that work? Why is that better than... Because, I, well, you know, when you were saying that, I immediately wanted to say that too because I could feel myself yeah. caring for this imaginary person. Yeah. But, but, yeah, you're right. Yeah. You don't know me. You're just saying that. You would say that. Yeah. So why, why does it help just to understand rather than to show that you care? Yeah. So there is um, the scientific side. So I've done some work with Professor Liz Stoko from Loughborough University who works on linguistics. Yeah. And she, and she has listened to some of our negotiations and worked with lots of different bodies as well listening to people in interaction and they have found that now they don't know why my my personal opinion is that it's because we don't talk about emotions enough right. it's because we have that learnt conversation and it's very british not to as well really british yeah. and americans like wear their heart on their sleeve compared yeah. to brits yeah we're walking around speaking very posh p's and q's and etiquette and inside we're, cr- we're screaming and crying at yeah. ourselves and, and, and nobody ever stops and 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 shows us what emotion we're feeling. And the, the thing about it is if you get it wrong, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It, it really doesn't matter. You know when BTP recently uh, released their start paying more attention on the tube you mean stations? British Transport Police. Sorry, yeah, the yeah. British Transport yeah. yes, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Right. gosh, that's 30 years yeah. of ingrained yeah. policing yeah. there for you, isn't it? You have been programmed. Yeah, I have been programmed, <laughs> massively so. And they, they were doing a campaign around getting uh, commuters to, to put down their phones, to be in the moment, to have a look around to see if there's people on the train station. And I think a lot of people were frightened of that. A lot of people were frightened to go up and say, hey, I've noticed you're hanging around on the train station. I just want to check that you're okay. Because we don't, that, that whole fear of looking stupid. Yeah. We don't want to look stupid. What if we've made a mistake? Well, the worst thing that will happen is they'll say to you, no, 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 I'm, just, I'm fine. F- thanks for asking, but I'm here and I'm fine. Or they might just grunt at you. Yeah, or grunt still... at you and carry on their phone. Yeah. It's funny, you know, I feel like that. Like, I really like tipping people big mm. um, because I think that it's, uh, I just like doing it. And um, I think it also um, follows one of the, the fundamental laws of money. And um, one of my mentors years and years and years and years ago, I think it was Mark Victor Hansen, said you should, go, you should tip before. Mm. So, you know, because like m- money flow, you have to start the money flow. Um, and you should tip a, a waiter before. Um, and you should tip them big and say, look, I know your service will be great, blah, blah, blah. And I, I, I practiced doing that. And the, the, the baggage that came out, number one, I thought oh, they'll think I'm bribing them. Yeah. Or, you know, like they'll be weirded out. And it's like, I'm, I'm doing a generous act here, and yet I'm judging myself. Yeah. Why can't we just do the generous act? Because nobody teaches us how to do it. Yeah. Or deal with our own emotions around it. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Right. So, what was the longest negotiation you were ever in? Gosh. Right, the longest one I have personally been involved in. Uh, has been over six months, and that was an international case wow. where somebody is kidnapped abroad, um, which I can't go into very much detail That's about. fine, but let's go into what you can go into. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so were you present for that whole time, or was it part remote, part there? Um, yeah, part remote, part there, and uh, on the phone. Right. Yeah. And that lasted six months. Yeah. And did you, in your mind, when you started, think, this is going to be a long one? <laughs> Can you tell uh, those kind of things? You generally find with international work, it will take longer than domestic work. Is that because of the political differences? Yeah, it's all sorts of differences. Right. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. Six months. Was it a positive outcome? Yes. Okay. And what does the positive outcome look like? What can you tell us about that? So the positive outcome for me is getting a phone call out the blue from mum saying he's at the hospital. He's okay. Wow. So it's not just getting them out of the situation. It's then them being healthy afterwards. Yeah. 
Because have you ever got someone out of a situation, but then they weren't healthy afterwards? Yes. Uh, people have died. Um, I have been lucky. Oh, you see, that that's an interesting question. People have died. Yes, people, yes. If you look at people that um, have been kidnapped in Syria, we know that people have died. Well, after they've come out? Uh, no, no, sorry. Whilst they've still been there. Yeah. No. So, oh, that's an interesting question. Have they died after, yeah, they, after they've been I'm just, I'm, like, I'm not trying to read you too much, no, but I'm no, trying no, to listen yeah. to what you say. Yeah. And it's really interesting, because I would have perceived a successful negotiation, you got the person out. Yeah. Your measure of success was not out, but hospital, checked, call from the mum, it's all good. So it's a, there's a lot more to it than just, yeah. hey, we've got this. Yeah, that's yeah. that's interesting because I had never thought of that before. Because I'm thinking about Terry White because I know you interviewed yes. Terry White. Yeah, um, and he was he was held hostage for a long time. Yeah, and he did did he do a similar role to you? I mean, he was a he was wasn't he um he was in um, humanitarian. Yes, Lane, wasn't that's he? right. Yeah, yeah. So he was, when he yeah. got kidnapped, it was because he was trying to help someone else from being released. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. So have you ever lost anyone? No. Uh, no. Not after they've been. You, you were like, no, I was uh, to, no. I'm thinking that. I'm thinking. Yeah. Have I lost? Have I ever lost anybody when they've? I've been really lucky. Touch wood. Yeah. Um, I've only had um, one person actually jump in front of me, which is great. Yeah. And everybody else has been okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And the person that jumped in front of you, were you involved in that situation? So yeah, I just turned up for the negotiation. I was. Um, just about to start actually oh. and he had mental health illness oh, I think he just became very frightened yeah. of the situation that he was in and he yeah. was looking for an, I think it was more of a looking for an escape my gut reaction is it was looking for an escape rather than looking to die right Does that makes so, sense because I can because you know often with human beings again I'm not pretending to know more know about what you do but like mm. sometimes it's options isn't it and so yeah. some people think well that's the easier option yeah. If people feel that that is less painful than what they're going through, something else you, I picked up on what you said is this chap I um, phoned this morning. Um, he's um, in the middle of careers. He was in um, Iraq, mm. in the middle of careers, and you know, a bit lost there. He's split it up with split up with his partner, and um, there was something else. His grandfather jumped in front of a train. Wow! So it's funny you said well, not funny, but interesting. Mm. One thing we can probably handle, even if it's hard. Two yeah. things, much harder. Three things. Yeah. And so is it that we need to make one of those things better and then, the, and then it becomes better? Is it that process rather than trying to pick them all off? Do you know, I think it's about control. Right. I think it's about control. Because even when you're talking to people who, uh, I don't know, who, who are running away from the police and so they've ended up in a building and they don't want to come down, it's the reality of it is they know they can't stay there forever and they are going to come down eventually but they still want the control of it right so they want to be in charge of that yes and if you it, when i when i look at that and i think about my own life you know, i generally come from a position of no because that gives me control i'm just reading a book by um chris voss who's an ex fbi negotiator and he talks about getting a no rather than getting a yes because of, of the control factor right and that actually makes sense so when Somebody sideswipes me with a new idea. I'm like, no. And then I'll go away and think about it. And then I'll come back ah, with my own ideas. So I'm in control. Yeah. But that might just be me because I'm a complete control freak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I generally think that when we start to lose control, and I see it in people that I coach as well, when, when we have overwhelm, when we can't see, see the wood through the trees, so to speak, and we don't have that control, 
we start to things start to build up yeah so let's come back to that this no thing is really interesting because you know like as soon as you said what you said about you'll say no i put yeah. myself in my mind in a sales p situation yeah. and like you know you read sales books all the time it's like oh well you know don't take a no a no yeah. is only a no today and in your mind you get it but like but that's so interesting that someone like you mm -hmm. you're going to say no and you're going to take control of the situation let's yeah. say i want to sell your course or something mm -hmm. like that your, your initial reaction might be no. The old me would go, oh, she doesn't want it, uh, over. But actually what you're saying is, let me have control of the situation. Mm -hmm. Let me go and have a look at the materials. Let me decide if yeah. I want to do it. And um, we've got a guy upstairs who sells for us who's brilliant. He's you know, probably the best performer because mm. all he does is every month checks in. Just He's brilliant at managing a pipeline. Yeah. And if someone, you know, he won't push, he's not a pushy guy. Um, but you know, every now and again, he'll check in, how you doing, how you getting on. That's interesting. Because, you know, it's all very well saying, oh, you know, don't take rejection personally and go for the no. There's a lot of that, isn't there? Yeah. But hearing you say that makes me think, yeah, you know what, a no's a good step. Yeah. Because, you know, like, I'll say no if I want to get rid of someone. I'll say no if I um, need to find out more, if I'm not ready, if I think it's expensive. But those no's aren't no's. Those yeah. no's are, give me space. Yeah. Let me dictate my own position yeah. i've never thought of it let like me that. be in control i didn't realize i was going to get free therapy yeah there you go you see look some top tips for yeah, you yeah this is awesome i need yeah. to, i need i need to get my sales team to listen to this yeah um what was the hardest negotiation you've ever done what or what can you tell us about that and if there's stuff you can't tell us yeah get into a situation that's public that you can tell which us. i can tell yeah. you yeah uh, so the, the hardest one, gosh, um, the, I think the hardest one, and this is where I learned a lot, a lot, and you, le you learn so much. People say to me, did you make mistakes? Oh my God, I made a mistake every time. Mm. Every, I still do it now. Yeah. People say, what is the hardest conversation you've ever had? And I'll tell you now, it's with my, with my partner and it's with um, Meg because they're emotionally driven conversations right. and they're the hardest. Yeah. So whenever there's an emotion involved, that's going to be a hard conversation for me. Yeah. So I think um, there's a few that, that stick in my mind. There was a young girl, 16, uh, in a tree with a noose around her neck. 16. I know. You know? Yeah. Gosh, how, how are we like that? Mm. And was it hard because of her age? And it was hard because of her age. It was hard because it was, um, it was one of my first negotiations. And when, when I first started, you know, when I went on that, of course, I thought, oh, I can communicate with people, I know how to listen, you know, I know how to chat, I, you know, I can get good relationships with people that I work with. But there wasn't a 16-year-old with a noose around, year old around and yeah. No, exactly. And there was a guy that I was with, um, and he took over the negotiation, and he was awesome. And I just sat there and I listened to him, I learned so much from that. I thought, Why was he awesome? What did he do good? Because he just related completely to her. So none of it was about him. None of it was about... He, he would say things like, um, you're probably looking at me and thinking, how on earth is this middle-aged man ever going to be able to help me? How can he possibly understand what I'm going through? I thought, gosh. And yeah. I've learnt more about that, more about you know, branding, and, which goes on in, in, in public. There's loads of books on branding and, and, and things to get over hurdles initially. Yeah. And they work, in, again, in everyday life. Yeah. You know, when, when I'm with the Scouts or when I'm talking to a group of younger people or if I was going to go and do a negotiation in a part of town where, hey, I'm a white middle-aged woman. Yeah. What on earth am I going to have in common with you? Yeah. So let's just get that out of the way. Let's deal with it. Yeah. And I learned loads and, from and, him. And so, it, one, you build rapport because the person knows you understand them, yeah. which obviously means you get closer to them. 
And also, I think because I'm, I was listening to a podcast again. I love listening. Yeah. And, um, uh, it was a selling one because I like to get all different facets of business. And normally, if someone gets a no or a rejection, you know that you're taught overcome the objection. But actually, I was listening to this one, and he said, "No, no don't do that. Agree with them. Hmm. If someone says it's too expensive." Don't go, oh, no, 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 it's not, it's great value. You go, yeah, I understand, it is expensive. Mm. Because if that person thinks it's expensive and you say, no, it's not, it's great value, yeah. actually, you're arguing with them in a way. Uh, and, you know, if I had 10 grand on my credit card and someone was trying to sell me a course for two grand, that's expensive. Yeah. So it shows that I understand. Yeah, so, um, hmm. what else did he do good? What else did? What else did that chap that what we else looked did he up do to? Good? He was yeah. just able to, um, he was able to, Really listen to what she was saying and and reflect it back in such... So the FBI are, are great with re- reflection. I learned a lot from the FBI as well. And yeah. if you read any of the guys that have been negotiators, they'll, they'll talk about reflecting language back. And, and it's Does that mean inherent. just stating it back to Yeah, the... just like... Um, you know, just like those, those emotions. And like the parenting books say the same, because yeah. it is about... And you've got to be careful not to add your own meaning to that, yeah, haven't you? Because that's you what have. we naturally want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's all about us. Yeah, yeah. And it is all and that's about the f- us. Yeah. So when you make it about the other person, yeah, that's when things change. Yeah. Mm. It's like when it's like when you're selling, as you just said. That if somebody says to you, "No, this is so expensive," um, and you you push back, you're pushing back against a belief. And if you push back against somebody's true belief, yeah. you're going to get nowhere. Yeah. If you, and it's just, it's the same. I I found myself. In fact, last night I was at home, I do a bit of for a community first responding, and we were yeah. having a conversation, and there was something I just disagreed with, and I could feel myself. Yeah. I could feel that whole you know yeah. emotion kicking in. Yeah. Because that was my belief. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Mm. So basically, a common theme so far. Um, we're on question three of ninety-one. <laughs> How long do uh, you have today? <laughs> oh, as long as we want. Um, getting ourselves out of the way. Mm. That seems to be the common thing. You know, I really believe in emotional management, self-awareness, emotional mastery. Yeah. Because someone reacts some away, we make it mean what me- we make it mean. I, you know, like something I try I had to learn to do with my wife is when she's in a certain mood, whatever it be. Let's say because she goes quiet. Mm which was a refreshing change from my last um, <laughs> partner before who went really loud. But then I didn't understand it because I'm used to girls going... Rah, 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 rah. Yeah. And of course, I, was, I know that I'm not knocking those girls because I was like that too. But I'd, wow, she's gone quiet. And I wish she'd made that mean she's got a problem with me. Mm. It rarely meant that. It rarely meant she needed to think about it. Mm. So what do I do? I want to fix the problem because yeah. it's now my problem. I've made it my problem because she's quiet. She doesn't want the problem fixed. I've got the problem wrong and I'm trying to fix a problem that's not there. Yeah. And then I cause an argument that yeah. didn't exist. All because of managing myself. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I definitely need therapy. <laughs> and, and all that little voice that's constantly going in your head all the time. Yeah. That's, tell, that's, that's, tell, that's either arguing with you or telling you that you're not right or telling you are yeah. right or telling you you're not good enough or telling you you're way better. Yeah, and taking it all personally. Yeah, and ta- every, taking yeah. everything personally. Because often the things we think personal trust they're not it's nothing to do with us no no it's what it's what it's what the other persons do yeah yeah all right cool so what's the most rewarding negotiation you've ever been in where you thought that i just feel amazing having achieved that gosh every single one of them that's a, i'm gonna push you on that that's yeah. that's a canned answer okay ma- that, or give us one that okay, is okay okay I'll, I'll give you i'll give you one because um 
Because there is no greater feeling, Robert, seriously, in the world than when you have spoken to somebody and you, you wherever it is, and you walk away from it, whether it's a, a kidnap somewhere in the world, whether it's a kidnap in the UK, whether it's talking to somebody in crisis, and you walk away from that and, and either the family hug you, these people you've never met before in your life and you have yeah. these really intense relationships with over a really short period of time, mm. or it's somebody who has spoken to you and, and they, they walk, you walk down with it. I remember walking down with this guy. Um, it, was, it, it was a Christmas Day Eve wow. and his wife had left him and he was all over the place. And he had this, huge, he had this really big knife. Um, and you know when you look at somebody and you, you think, you're not going to hurt me. The only person you're going to hurt with that knife is you. And I remember talking to him and he was a bit incoherent. He was quite drunk and we walked... We walked together, he put the knife down, and after a couple of hours or so, we walked together round to the ambulance. And he just looked at me and he just went, sorry, who are you again? And thanked me. And I just thought, God, there is no better feeling than that. And that is all about me and my reward schemes. But But if it wasn't for you and your reward schemes, you wouldn't do this job and you wouldn't help people. No, exactly. So I think we have to uh, accept and embrace the selfishness inside of us. Because if you, it was all about them and nothing about you, you wouldn't get those reward feelings, you wouldn't want to do it again. No, that's right. Yeah. But interesting that you are self-aware about that. Yeah, right. I am self-aware about it. I yeah. never used to be. And, but the more I've negotiated, then the more I've read about psychology and people and interaction and even just normal every day with friends, with relatives, with family, the more I'm very much aware of uh, this is all about me and this is my judgment and yeah. what I'm doing here. Yeah. Which um, I, I just think it's really important to say this. There's nothing wrong with that. No. I've, uh, over the last few years, I've maintained that if you have a, a, a good balance between selfish and selfless, I think you achieve a good level of mastery, success mm. or whatever. You know, fundamentally, as a human being, we have internal reward systems so that we can survive. Yeah. You know, we need to be we feel rewards when we eat food, feel rewards when we procreate, all those kind of things. Mm. And, so, you know, like, so being too selfless is, is you will lose your drive. Yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, you know, I can relate. I wouldn't have been able to relate to this a few months ago. I've done a lot of coaching. Mm. Obviously, I've mentored a lot yeah. of people, um, and always growing. You know, and I'm, like, I'm certainly not as big as many other people on the planet. I'm doing my own little thing, um, but since I put these videos out on loneliness and depression, yeah, those feel the best. You know, this guy. I, mean, I, I said to him, "Stay in touch." I don't know what's going to happen, but you know, I just had a little moment there this morning where I thought maybe in twenty years that guy's going to have a conversation with with someone, and he's going to go, and this is selfish. Yeah, he's going to go. I lost my way a bit and I had a chat with this guy called Rob and he helped yeah. me. And that, you know, feels better than any money I could yeah. ever feel. Hey, look, if you could charge for it as well, that'd be, that'd be great. But yeah. yeah. All right, what's your weirdest negotiation situation? Oh, any you thought, blimey, I've never yeah, been in this situation before. A weird place, weird, you know, totally unique person, weird the way it went. Gosh, I remember turning up um, to this guy who was on top of a hospital and he had bipolar and he was handstanding all the way along. So he was walking on his hands about, God, I don't know, about 40 foot in the air on this edge. Wow. And I remember standing on there just going, wow, that's actually really cool. Yeah. <laughs> that must amazing. have distracted you from <laughs> yeah. your job. It's amazing. That like, is amazing. pretty dangerous, but but he was amazing. serious about taking his own life as well. Yeah, so he was he was very frustrated. He was in a, he was very frustrated. You know, when when we get frustrated and angry, sometimes we do think well, and I speak wholly for myself here. I do or say things that I don't mean to yeah, do. So we're rash. We're yeah, we're very rash, and we're not yeah. thinking with that logical part of our brain. Yeah. 
and so we we do actions and if we have mental health illness that, then that will drive that even more so it will be so whereas i might say say some words that i regret or throw something on the floor or yeah. bash the wall other people will go and stand on the building and you do and things do. like that still yeah of course i do because no, i'm completely human yeah yeah <laughs> which is nice to know and, and you know what if we want the rest of the world to be in touch with their emotions we need to lead yeah and i think it's really good there's been a lot of a, a movement recently on vulnerability if you think mm. about what Bre- brene brown writes about and other people yeah. like that and i've certainly found a lot of strength in vulnerability mm-hmm. admitting my mistakes and saying sorry a lot yeah you know i i, I don't ever want to think anyone anyone to think this is a technique because it's not but one of the strongest leadership skills i've ever seen is when i've done something even if i've not perceived i've done it wrong but it's, it's landed wrong just apologize just immediately apologize yeah it's, you know, like, that's seen as a weakness, you know, like 20, 30 years ago, you don't say sorry, you know, like, but yeah, hmm. vulnerability so is important, I think. The, the other thing with the word sorry, and again, this is just my belief, yeah. is that sorry is a taught word, quite often. Yes, or even worse, I apologise. Yeah. You don't actually mean yeah. that, you've been told to say that's that. That's right, yeah. 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 Is that where you were going to go with yeah, it? So yeah, I bought, so it's about that insincerity, uh, insincerity so it's about being genuine yeah so if you're going to say sorry actually what are you sorry for and then if you can show how you're not going to do that again that makes it a much more powerful sorry yes and i agree with that and i also think being truthful yeah so if i'm sorry but i'm not i'm not going to pretend i am no so i'll say something like i'm really sorry that this played out the way it did neither of us wanted us to play it out like that because that's the truth because if i'm not actually sorry because i might not be yeah but I'm sorry how it's play, playing out because I've had JVs that have gone wrong. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, actually, no, I, you know, like, I don't think I did too much wrong here. And I've got to be self-aware, I know. But So, yeah, being honest about what you're sorry about and being specific about yeah. what you're sorry about. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, I've asked that one. Have you ever lost a negotiation and how did you feel? But let's ask it a different way. Um, have you ever, you know, it, it just felt really empty and just felt really like, ah, oh, you know, like, because obviously you feel that you can feel elation when it goes well. Yeah. Have you ever had a come down, or you should felt good, or or something like that? Yeah, I I can remember dealing with. Um, I can't talk about the case, but I can remember dealing with a really intense. You know that makes me want to. Ask I know you it does. So I'm really sorry. <laughs> I so that I shouldn't say that, should I? Right. So I was dealing. No, I was dealing with a um a, a, a case, and it was the most intense 36 hours of my life. Seriously, it was. Really? A roller coaster of emotions. What was intense about it? So it w- it was intense because it was um, a life at threat, and we honestly thought this person was going to be killed. So someone else's life. So at somebody threat. else's life was at, yeah. at, at risk, and I remember getting on the train on after afterwards, and everybody just having their normal life, and I think people that have gone through a big loss can probably relate to this. You know, how does the world keep on turning? I remember sitting on the train looking at everybody going. You have no idea yeah. what I've just gone through. And you're all just having a normal life. How is that possible? And balancing that reality. Sometimes, you know, I think about that and I try and reverse it in a grateful way. Mm. Sometimes I think, I swan along in this life. I've got beautiful kids. I've got mm. a beautiful wife. I've got my parents still here. You know, all right, I was raised in Peterborough. You can't have everything, <laughs> you know. And sometimes I try and reverse it and think there must be so many people like what you've just experienced living in really hard areas, being brought up, not with a hope, being abused, beaten, starving. Try and look at it the other way. Because also, you know, like when you're feeling down, getting in a state of gratitude, it gets you immediately out of it. Yeah, yeah. But what, you just had that moment where you were just like, it was almost like a bit of a reality check, was it? Yeah. Yeah, just that reality check. Yeah, and I suppose also if the emotions are really high, you get the emotional come down. 
Mm. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And that and that can because when you're pumped full of adre- adrenaline, when you're doing any, I would suggest any negotiation, I'm probably pumped full of adrenaline, mm. especially at the beginning. And then when it finishes, and and I always find this very interesting, is that I can spend 12, 14 hours, if necessary, with a complete stranger who can abuse me, who can shout at me, who can throw things at me, and I'll be patient as patient. I'm having a bad day, can we have a Yeah, give me a ring, and I'll be, I'll be like really calm. I'll get home, and there'll be that dish on the side that hasn't made it into the dishwasher. <laughs> yeah. And you'll just go full on Michael full, full du- on, Douglas yeah, falling down. That's right, full on complete over the top yeah. um, and and we always take it out on the people we love and care about the which, most which isn't right I'm no, not saying it's right and, and I'm like, really I, working I, on I that I think that a lot as well yeah. why do we do that yeah is it because it's safe is it probably but, but yeah. then how safe is it if you keep treating somebody and like you, that you it's you not, push them yeah, back. yeah push because them you know you hear a lot of people who spend a lot of time at work they come home they're tired they take it out on their partner they don't yeah. mean to at first it yeah. builds and then they split up I think that's a very great warning yeah. Because um, I've always said it's really important to have peers, a network, mentors, a circle. Yeah. People that you can have those conversations with. Because, yeah, you shouldn't be dumping that on your kids and your wife. Yeah. Or your husband or, you know, whoever. Or and, and a great mechanism I've found more recently. I think the older I get, the more self-aware I get, to be honest. Mm. Or the more I've done this, the more self-aware I get. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not sure. Isn't it sad that we <laughs> just when we get that really good level of self-awareness, it's time to pass to another <sighs> life. Yeah. I often think, I wish I could go back to 19. Yeah. I knew nothing yeah. when I was 19. Yeah, you think you know everything yeah. at 19. Sorry, carry no, on. No, no. Yeah. And, and I do. And just taking myself out now, and I, I say to people sometimes when I'm coaching them, you know, if you get home and you're feeling like that, what stops you from just taking yourself out? Mm. What, taking myself out for what, five, ten minutes? Yeah, just going upstairs, just breathing, yeah. do some a bit of mindfulness because um, mindfulness doesn't have to be meditation. It can just be losing yourself for a few minutes yeah. and then come back down Yes. and start. Yeah, because it's always, we react impulsively and immediately yeah. at the apex of the decision yeah. or the, the emotion. So if we can just let that subside. So, um, you know, things like... I. I used to play a lot of pool when I was young and I started playing pool again. And that is like therapy, meditation, mindfulness and whatever all in one. Yeah. Because it's going to sound a bit weird and pool's pool. It's not. But like when you are trying to pot a ball in a pocket, you are focused on that ball. Yeah. And maybe the position of the white. And you are not focused about anything else. All no. the noise, the clatter, blah, 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 blah. And yeah, go and have two games of pool if you like pool. Go and hit a punch bag for five yeah. minutes. Go and have a five minute run. I know it's, you know, I think this could be some of the best advice we could ever give to someone. When you get to the heat of that emotions, just do what it takes to take yourself away. Yeah, yeah. Go and do 50 press-ups yeah, or you know, whatever it is you do. Because it's, it's 90 seconds. Mm. So it's 90 seconds of And that's that, where we do everything that we regret, regret yeah, in that moment. Yeah, in that 90 seconds. And then if we keep thinking about it, then then we extend extend it so if we're, if we're angry the old chemical reaction flows through our body for 90 seconds yeah, right so is if that, that what it is yeah it's about 90, it's about 90 seconds. seconds so if you if you're self-aware enough to go oh hang on i know what's happening here yes. i need to get out of here and you've just only got say, 90 seconds to put up with yeah and then and then it's it's done but if you keep building on it and keep thinking about it then it yeah. prolongs it and it, you, make, yes. you, you become angrier for longer and the world gives us what we give it of so course. if we put all that out that's what we get back because we turn other people into that yeah yeah, wow. All right then. So, what skills are transferable into business and life from suicide prevention, hostage negotiation? You know, there, there must be. I mean, this is going to be, I guess, the, yeah. the body of your work yeah. in your second career. In my second career, yeah, all of them. Mm. All, 
all of them. So I so do. Give you some specific ones. Let me give you some specifics. Right. So if you're in selling, uh, you'll often come at selling from your own point of view about what you want from you've that got to hit from targets, that sales. You've got to hit yeah. those targets, yeah. Which your customer doesn't care about. No, they've got. They no don't want to hit. They want to help you care. get a target. Yeah, you, you, we all. We all already have an opinion about car salespeople, don't you? You only have to say, um, mention the word car salespeople and everyone's like, oh, dodgy or yeah. untrustworthy. So so those, so those, address that as soon as you meet somebody. Be the opposite of that. Yeah, be exactly the opposite of that. Mm. Be the opposite, be, be the unexpected. Right. Do something that people are not expecting you to do. Yeah. You know, when I talk to people as a police officer, they already have a massive opinion about police officers. It might be that they've had a bad experience. So now that's their belief. Yeah. So I'm going to be completely different from that belief. Yeah. You know, I've got two examples of this because um, uh, I was. It was six o'clock in the morning, and they were doing roadworks outside our house. And um, like, actually, it was five fifteen in the morning, and I was on my usual auto route to get my Costa coffee. Yeah. And I was half asleep. Yeah. And I, and, uh, I stopped at the red light, and then before the red light changed, I just drove through it. I thought, what an idiot! Uh, and I knew as I was driving through it, and, and, and there was, it was a police car behind me. And I, and I was like, oh, and thankfully, I've, you know, like, he opened the door and, started, and I just said, look, I'm really sorry. I'm half asleep. I'm going to Costa. I knew halfway through it was a red light. I don't know what I did. And he's like, oh, don't worry, mate. You know, I was just sort of, normally people react in a bad way. No problem. Let me just check your vehicle and send me on. He was expecting me to go, oh, I didn't know, I didn't know. Yeah. And because I just went, oh, I'm really sorry. I'm half asleep. What am I doing? Yeah. He was, I could see him immediately be disarmed. Because I guess he gets a lot of abuse, mm. and I think I understood that he gets a lot of abuse. And also, I admitted that I was a, I was wrong. Yeah. And so, and that just completely diffused that situation. Yeah. So. So yeah. So that. And that's then the next thing, good. Joe Girard, um, he's the top car salesman in the world. He's yeah. in the Guinness Book of Records, and I bought his book, How to Sell Anything to Anyone, expecting to have a load of selling techniques. And basically, he says he just builds relationships with people, and he's always out there telling people what he does. And most of his sales are from referrals by people going, you'll love Joe, go to Joe's dealership. Mm. And it's about them being comfortable, like, you know, knowing who Joe is. And yeah. then end up buying a car they didn't necessarily want because they buy it because they like Joe. Yeah. And so what you think of the Guinness Book of Work record salesman, you'd think picture, great techniques, great overcoming objections, closer, yeah. you know, Wolf of Wall Street in the sales. But actually it's the complete opposite of that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. It's what else okay. can you transfer from... Your world. <clears throat> Listening to people. Yeah. Being being that being in that moment. And that is like um that's a free gift for anybody. Yeah. And you do, it doesn't have to take a lot of time. You can you can do it to anybody. There's a lot of very lonely people in this world, especially the elderly, you know, as they get I remember I was walking, um I just dropped um Meg off at school and I was walking down the road and there was this guy just sat on the wall, um an elderly guy, and I just said, Are you okay? And he said, yeah, I'm fine. And within like 10 minutes, he told me all about his day, all about he'd lost his wife six years ago. He tries to do the same walk every day. He's got a bad heart. He just offloaded for 10 minutes. And I didn't say anything apart from, mm-hmm, aha, uh -huh, nodded. And, and that was done. And, and I walked away from that encounter thinking... That is a gift. Yeah. I've, I've done nothing but spend 10 minutes with another human being. Mm. And I think we all know the power of listening. Yeah. And we forget. Yeah. It's funny as well because I'm speaking from me and other men I know in this situation. I'm not stereotyping, I'm just saying. Men tend to want to fix problems. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have a problem with our wife or our children and immediately we're trying to fix it for them. The amount of times my wife has said to me, I don't want you to fix this problem. Yeah. 
Well, what do you want me to fucking do? Why are you telling me? I think she just needs me to hear her. Uh, and she can fix her own problems. She doesn't need me to. She was fixing her own problems for 30 years before she <laughs> met me. Like, yeah. I'm going to be able to make a difference. And so I always learn a bit from that. You know, sometimes it's not about fixing people's problems. It's not about and I am a real fixer. If I see a problem, I want to fix it immediately. And, and, you know, I see that as a strength. But that can often be a weakness. Because who wants to be fixed by someone they don't know who doesn't know the situation? And when you fix it, you fix it from your point of view. Exactly. And, and you, the outcome you want. Yeah. Oh, I've got a happy wife now. Yeah. Yeah, and we're all very good at that. Yeah, I, yeah. I look at the conversations with, I've, I've had with friends in the past and I'm like, well, I can, I can easily solve your problem. A, because it's not mine. Uh, mm. And B, yeah, I can't un actually understand why you can't see the, the conclusion and, and how it would all work. Yeah. It's not my problem to fix. No. It's yours. Yeah. And I can help you with it just by listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's that I really believe on this um, thing about getting out what you keep in. So yeah. for years, I've repressed certain emotions. Like when I was a really overweight kid, I repressed everything. Every, everything that someone said to me was in and stored. Yeah. I didn't have good friends that I could, you know, I'm getting bullied. Are oh, they calling me a fat bastard? Are oh, this, that and the other? Because um, also I feared being judged if I said that. Yeah. You, you cannot store it all in. That's when you have breakdowns. You lose your emotional composure. You get ill. Mm. And, and, and like one of the greatest gifts of having a business partner, Mark, yeah. is sometimes I just sit there and go, Mark, blah, 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 blah. I don't even know why I'm doing it, but it feels damn good. And yeah. I know it's the same for him. And in the early days, we used to try and fix each other's problems again and judge each other. And now I think we know if I'm having a bit of a rant, I think he just knows and he'll just sit there and he'll cross his legs. And, and he's even got good at pretending to be interested. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, sorry. And I know no, no, I've done the same for him. Yeah. Sometimes he'll go, Rob, I've got this problem with planning and this deal. He actually doesn't want my opinion. Mm. He needs to talk it out to make it make sense. And it, 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 what he does now is goes, oh, Rob, I don't need your opinion. Blah, blah, blah. And then just, I'm yeah. just a sounding board. Yeah. And I think we underestimate how much of a gift that is. Yeah, that's a huge gift. Mm. That's why I'm a great believer in you should always have a coach or a mentor. Yes. Or someone where you can just go and say exactly those words. I don't want you to fix this. don't want you to solve it. I just need you to listen to me. And reflect back what I'm saying so mm. I can hear it for myself and yeah. then I'll find the path. And when we know we're not going to be judged as well, yeah. we're, we're much more likely to let it all out. Mm -hmm. And that's, the, that's why you've got to be in a peer group and have a mastermind. Yep. Because, you know, I feel comfortable you're not going to judge me if I give you some of my baggage and vulnerabilities. Uh, and if I thought you were going to judge me, I'd keep them inside. Because mm. why do I want to be judged? Yeah. You're mm. already judging yourself. Don't yes, you oh, I do, do that better than... <laughs> I beat myself up better than anybody else on the planet could. <laughs> All right, cool. So what are the biggest no-nos, do not do's in negotiations and sort of suicide? You know, I know obviously the reverse of some of the things you said. Yeah. But some big don't do's. So some mistakes. Some mistakes. Yeah. Some big maybe learning you've lessons. Done or you've seen people do. Uh over talking. Right. And finish gosh, finishing other people's sentences. <laughs> so is that you? Uh, well <laughs> try not to judge myself. Let's see. I've probably interrupted you a couple of times, but I hope I've let you finish. But yeah, don't we all do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because yeah. our brain is working like yes. all the time, constantly, constantly, constantly. And because we speak slower than we can listen, then we're filling in all the gaps anyway. Mm. And, and the problem with that is that we then don't check what actually that person means. So I've made it yes. mean something in my own head, but I'm not sure mm. because I haven't checked in with you that that's what you mean. 
I experience this on a daily basis. People are used to me talking and talking a lot and talking fast, and I do. And it seems like every time I pause, they want to talk for me because I think they're uncomfortable with the silence. It, and what often happens is they either finish my sentences or say something. What they don't understand about me is when I pause, my brain is too slow. And often I'm trying to work out what they just said. And with people I'm really comfortable with, I'm able to say, I'm, I'm a few sentences behind you. you know, it's my kind way of saying, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it's often our own fears, isn't it? Of fears of the silence, fears of just being in the moment. Yeah, and I was so tempted to interrupt you there. You, you say, can. I was like, mm, yeah. As I went no, go on, coffee. say it, say it. But the s silence is so powerful. Mm. And actually, when you're in the most rapport with people and, and you think about your own private life, you sit in silence for hours with people just because you're comfortable being there, comfortable being in the moment. Yes. And I learned this from a, a lady called Jane who works with Hearus. And so they are... They all have mental health illness and they provide a service for others who have mental health illness and they're like a support network. And I remember her saying to me, you know what, sometimes I talk to people and they phone up and we have a conversation for hours on end and I'll be tired and they'll be tired and I'll just say to them, you know, I'm right here. I'm right here. We don't need to talk. I'm just going to be here sitting with you at the end of the phone in this moment. And if you need anything, then just speak to me and, mm. I, and we'll carry on talking. And she said, sometimes we just sit there on the phone, so you can't even see the other person, yeah. sitting there for hours. Because we, we are so frightened of that silence, of filling it in. And yet what's happening for the other person is they're mentally processing the information. And then when they're ready, they'll speak for us anyway. Mm. Yeah, I try and learn that more. And also, I know it feels really good to be around people. And sometimes you don't need to have a conversation. Mm. It's just nice to know that, you know, my wife and I will often be together and not necessarily having stimulating conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, just like, uh, kids, uh, trying to get about the house, uh, but it's just nice that yeah. you've got someone there. And I find this with Meg especially, I mean, she's taught me loads. So she popped into my life, she was six and I was in my early 40s, so that was a big turnaround for yeah. me. Um, and now, if we're watching a film, for her, we are all in the moment together as long as none of us have got our mobile devices yeah. out. And she's really strict on that. She's really like, put, put everything away. Yeah. Put everything away. We're going to watch this together as a family. I find that fascinating. Mm. Now, one of my mentors told me this before I had kids. And I think I listened with one ear and judged with the other. But mm. he basically said, if you think when you have kids that you're going to teach them everything about life, you are wrong. <laughs> they will teach you as much about life yeah. as you teach them. And I was like, yeah, whatever, I'm going to raise my son to be this and that and the other, and he's going to be this and that, and then this individual is born, yeah. who is also an individual, mm. as well as you trying to raise them. And <clears throat> I think understanding that everyone teaches you something. Yeah, hugely. But you've got to, of course, you've got to listen to... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, kids, because kids often don't have the filter, do they? No. So they will be honest with you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And also, I found as a step-parent, so... Uh, so this would work in everyday life. As a step-parent, you think because you're the adult, then you automatically have built a relationship mm. and that that kid is going to just listen to you and do what you say. No way. Here is a six-year-old. I've got to work hard to get rapport, to yeah. get trust, to get conversation, to listen to, to build that whole relationship. Mm. Not because I'm the adult and what I say goes. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a bit like if you say, yeah, well, you've got to do this because I'm the boss. If you, ever yeah. had to, if you have to use the leverage of your position, you've lost. Yeah. And we're all tempted to do that because that's the easy thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. God, you know, like about six, seven years ago, the only time I've ever lost it in the office in front of people. And I'm proud. I should 
I've only done it once. Yeah. But I'm also, I've done it once, so there's a mistake. Um, but, you know, I own the company. We asked our staff to, to write their systems documents for their role. Fairly reasonable request as part of their role. We pay them. Um, but some of them didn't want to do it. Yeah. And some of them um, perceived that, that we were trying to get rid of them, which we weren't. Um, and then, so we gave him a deadline, blah, blah, blah. And it came time to have the meeting with one of them. And he said, oh, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Mm. And I basically effed and blinded at him and said, you come in this meeting, blah, blah, blah. And he said, yeah, all right, fine. Oh, fine. <laughs> and then about two weeks later, he left and mm. he nicked three staff. And they all set up another company. Right. I got what I deserved. <laughs> and I learned, something I learned that day was, and I feel, felt this in myself, I think you should have a golden rule in life, never shame anyone. Mm. I think people turn into the worst versions of what human beings can be if you, if you shame people. Mm. I yeah. remember when I was young and I used to um, be really overweight, we had to do swimming. Now, this is kind of funny and kind of cruel all at the same time, so bear with me. But one thing you shouldn't do to kids when they do swimming is wear the tightest little speedos, <laughs> especially if you're really overweight. I mean, that is cruelty. Give them some nice big baggy shorts they can pull up really yeah. high to cover. And I was so embarrassed and I just felt shame and humiliation. Mm. And that is the worst feeling. And I think if you can protect people from feeling that yeah. and never be the person that makes someone feel like that, you know, if you, ha if you ever do that publicly to staff, they're going to be the ones that have tribunals with you. Mm -hmm. I guess a lot of people who are holding people hostage are probably because they felt that in their life. Yeah, yeah definitely. Mm. And it's that make me feel important. Yes. All right, cool. We've still got more. Are you all right? Yeah, yeah. Coffee no, kicking good. in? Coffee's kicking You're in. Good? We're all good. All right. Now, this is a bit of a... We're going to change tack a bit here. And you, you, Your eyebrows raised when you read this question oh, before. Are most terrorist stroke captors men? Mm -hmm. If so, what's it like being a woman in this situation? And by the way, if anyone doesn't like this question, one of my team put it in. So okay, you can't yeah, blame me. They can't blame you. Yeah. Uh, yes. Most are men. Most are men. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what's it like being a female in this situation? So. I guess you wouldn't know any different because you're not a <sighs> yeah, man. Yeah, <laughs> no, that, yeah, and that's a good point because I wouldn't know any different because I'm not a man. Um, and I assume you've never been one in your past no, life. No, I've never <laughs> been a man in my past life. Uh, I don't really think about it. And I think that's the way it should be. Yeah. What difference does it make? Yeah. If you're good at your job, you're good at your job. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really think about it. Um, when I joined the police, it was a very male-orientated world anyway. Has it got better? Oh, yeah. That's Huge, good. Hugely so. Mm. Um, when I was in the firearms department, that was a hugely male-orientated world. There were seven women out of something like 450 guys. Wow. I learned a lot in that three and a half What did you years. learn? I learned that actually where I thought I was working with a load of roughy tufty men, they were still human beings who were very sensitive. Mm. And so I could be careless with my words um, because I thought that I'd think, well, t they'll take it on the chin. Banter. Banter, yeah. that's, that's absolutely right. And then and a couple of them would come up to me afterwards and go, what did you mean by that? And I learned, and that was before I was a negotiator because I've learned since I've been doing negotiation and communication and interpersonal skills is that actually words are incredibly powerful mm. you can make or break somebody or you can empower them and liberate them mm. and encourage them that saying of sticks and stones may break my yes. bones but words will never hurt me is the worst it's saying rubbish. it's, it's absolute rubbish yeah. yeah absolute rubbish such a powerful mm. so powerful but yeah. did you ever experience any i don't know what the word would be but you know being a woman in a man's world any maybe non-pc things happen Non-PC things. I joined in the 80s, and if you look at life on Mars, not that far off the truth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a very diplomatic way of saying it. <laughs> so, yeah, but it's, and I, I say but, because I didn't know any different. Mm. 
so now, like when I read my report that said things like, um, needs to be more assertive because of slight stature, you'd never be able to say that no. in this day and age. And quite rightly so, because what has my slight stature got to do with anything? Yeah. And I'll tell you something I've always believed, sorry to just jump no, in, that's in. Right. it's kind of my job, yeah. just trying to justify it is every strength is also a weakness and every weakness is also a strength. Yeah. So the fact that that was said about you, you've highlighted, made you great at your main career. Yeah. And I think we've got to balance those things out in ourselves. Just because someone else says that's a weakness, or it might be for that job, but it's a perfect one for that job. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, you, where were you going? No, that, yeah. that, that's... Um, so, so, yes, there were some politically incorrect things. When I, it, was, it was policing in the 80s. We've learnt, I think... Policing's learned a lot. I think it's come a phenomenal way. Yeah. Um, maybe we're probably going the other way mm. to some degree. And maybe we needed to. Maybe we needed to, yeah. yeah. But the opportunities that I was afforded and that I did were just amazing. Mm. You know, those last... I will never... I'm, I, those last five years especially, unbelievable. If you'd have told me at the age of 19 what I'd have been doing at the end of my career, I'd yeah. have gone, yeah, right. Yeah, that'd be ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I think that was a very diplomatic answer to that question. But I, I'm going to let you get away Thank with that because I've got more. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. So how many, how many, when you were in the sort of mostly negotiation part of your career, yeah. how many negotiations would you do a year? Because, you know, we have no idea. Are yeah. you doing a lot of paperwork and the odd negotiation or are you just, sometimes you're doing them for six months? So most negotiators are, they do it on top of their day job, believe right. it or not. So they are, they're the sort of people that want to make such a difference that they'll have a full-time job and then they'll put themselves on call. And, they, and they've just okayed that with their... Yeah, so they have to pass a course, a very intensive course. Yeah. They have to make sure they're suitable. And then they, yeah, they get an agreement from their bosses in whichever force, this is across yeah. the UK, and then they do that on top of their day job. Now, right. there, there is a small core team that work permanently and I was lucky enough to do my last five years on that. So yeah. my, apart from being operational, my other responsibilities were teaching. So I had the responsibility of the UK national course and going out on deployments and normal sort of office and helping other people to learn skills. Yeah. So yeah. Because yeah. it's not sort of thing you can put in your diary, is it? No, that's right. Yeah. Because you <laughs> Monday, never know Monday I'm yeah. off to <laughs> Iraq, Tuesday yeah. I'm in, you know, yeah. So, and it never yeah. happens at a convenient no, of time, course. I can tell you, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's funny when people talk about recessions, difficulties with their finances, it's like, why now? It's the worst possible time. Obviously, of course, because yeah. it wouldn't be bad. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Mm. All right, okay. Uh, so how many a year would you do on average? You know, proper negotiation situations. Gosh, so... It, uh, uh, I would, so I can only speak for London, because yeah. I, I know London have about, uh, about 150 a year. Right. Total negotiations and kidnaps, they have almost one a week in London. Right, and roughly how many people are working on those? Is it five of you? So there would be a core team. You'd normally deploy with one person who would be coordinating everything and a couple yep. of negotiators. So basically you're one of just a very small handful of people in this whole country. Yeah. Like, what, less than a couple of dozen people? No, there's more than that across the whole country. Okay, London? Yeah. So in London there's about between 50 and 60. Wow. Yeah. Wow, how does it feel to be someone so one of so few, you know, so technically skilled and importance on you for that role? Yeah, that's weird when you say it like that. Yeah, because it doesn't feel like that. Yeah, because it's not like we're, you know, we've just easily get 
Oh, well, Nikki's on holidays. No problem. We've got, you know, interview for another hundred of you. Yeah. You've got very specialist skills. Yeah, very you? specialist skills. Yeah. It feels, I just feel incredibly privileged. Yeah. I really do. I just feel, I'm so glad Helen Ball said to me, give that a go, Nick. Because yeah. that was a, t you know, Helen, sliding door conversation. You're awesome. <laughs> Listen to all my podcasts as well. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so you've taught the FBI, haven't you? Well, Kind of, yeah. Like, we have an exchange program. I've been over to the FBI yeah. course and helped with. Yeah, help I don't. I didn't students. say you are the FBI <laughs> guru of gurus. What have you taught? Them? How have you added value to them? How have we added value to, to them? So when we go over to their course, they run a negotiation course very similar to ours. Yeah. Uh, we share best practice. We share learning, and so r really, when I went over there, I was an experienced negotiator on their course of new negotiators. So it was just about helping them to develop their new listening skills, helping them to develop uh, influence and negotiation skills and and sharing lessons that I've learned and things that haven't worked for me. Yeah, so what hasn't worked for you? Uh, making assumptions. Yeah. Uh, I remember um, going into a negotiation with a colleague of mine and the guy said, why are you here? And kind of said well you, you tell us you you know you tell us your side of the story and he was like why are you here well you, you tell us and he was like if you can't even be bothered to find out about me and why you're here I don't want to know and just walked off I went yeah, that's a really good point that's a really good point how am I going to make you feel important if I don't even say to you this is what I know and this is why I'm here mm. so yeah yeah you know what there's a very underrated thing honesty yeah hugely yeah. underrated yeah and it's, I go back to that polite learnt conversation. Yeah. Yeah. People, mm. that, people in crisis and people who are struggling, they don't want that polite, hey, how are you? Because mm. I'm going to tell you I'm okay. Mm. Because that is the polite thing to do. Mm. And it's even worse when you know that you're going to say to somebody, how are you? And you're going to get there half an hour of being caught in a corner. Yeah. And, and so we probably won't even ask the question of how are you. We'll just yeah. go, hmm. Yeah. And walk past. <laughs> yeah, we've all, we've all done that. I'm not yeah, asking you. Yeah, yeah um, and we do. Mm. We and we do do that. Yeah, mm. it is. It's honest conversations. Yeah, powerful honest conversations are so important. Yeah. Okay, great. You've worked with spies as well, haven't you? Mm. Go on, tell us about that. Uh, what can I tell you about? <laughs> Whatever you can tell me. Tell me everything you can tell me, and a bit you can't. <laughs> so I'll tell you. Um, I'll tell you more about coming from my point of view on it. Is I remember going away for a few days uh, on a course and thinking I have no right to be here I have no right to be here with these amazing people who put who, their life in jeopardy, put their all, life the in jeopardy all the time mm. and um, gosh what am I going to teach them and and then finding out they're completely normal people mm. with everyday feelings and everyday emotions well, if they weren't normal and they were a stereotype of a spy, they wouldn't be a very good spy because no, they'd get caught right. out. Yeah, they'd oh, get I have this hat time, and I have yeah. this Mac covered over my face. I yeah. am a spy. Yeah. So very interesting. Yeah. Come on, give us a bit more. Oh, I can't give you a bit more on that, Rob. <sighs> that would be unfair. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. What have you learned about humanity and have you been scarred? Oh, gosh. That's a deep question, isn't it? What have I learned about humanity? I'll try right. Yes, I've been scarred, most definitely. I think there are things I've seen in this job that nobody should see. And I'm very good at 
compartmentalizing things yeah. and putting them away and filing them in cabinets and sometimes they come to the surface um but we have we're very lucky in the role that we do is we have a good oh support system oh yeah uh occupational health somebody to listen to me yeah. for an hour or so so that's so that's good but yeah have i been scarred yeah probably yeah. If I'm if I'm really honest about it, there are things that I don't want to think about. There are things, there have been situations that will flash into my mind that I just want to park away. And, and is there not any really one of those them. you can talk about? Is there any one of those that I can talk about? And if you about? feel really uncomfortable, just say, and that's fine. Okay, yeah. Um, I remember going to a big department store in the centre of town where a ex-partner of somebody who worked there walked in and shot her and then shot himself. Blimey, and you just saw it. And we were first on scene to that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I don't like that. Uh, and I guess it must have happened very quick. Yeah, it's all over in, in, in a matter of seconds. Yeah. And I remember, um, remember the guys on my team giving uh, him, uh, she was clearly dead, but he was still alive at the time, giving him first aid and trying to... Uh, keep him from dying yeah I remember things like I remember holding somebody's hand uh, as they died from a drug overdose yeah I remember going to tell a parent about her son who'd been caught up in a gang fight who was 15 who'd been shot and died in surgery yeah you know some really tough times mm. whilst they must leave scars do you think that there's also gifts hidden within those? Yeah, definitely. Definitely, because then you bring bring it back to the hum, human side of things. Yeah. And so being there for that person, mm. you know, being there for that mum mm. who didn't know me, mm. but was able to take her grief. Uh, being there for people who have gone through terrible crisis. Mm. And I, I watch those videos that go around on YouTube and Facebook, where they, they set people up, don't they? There was one recently in Burger King called the Bully Burger, where there was some bullying going on, and, and right. they compared it to nobody stepped in to do the bullying, but when their burger wasn't right, everybody was happy to complain. Right. And, and for, I think that gives a false representation of people, yeah. because I think that we look for social proof. We still have that fear in society of looking stupid, like yeah. going up to speak to somebody who's walking up and down on the edge of the platform mm. and, and getting it wrong. And we look around and see if anybody else is doing it. Yeah. Has anybody else put the call in? Is anybody else helping? Mm. And if we see that people aren't, then we it's kind of like, well, it must be okay then. Yeah. It just doesn't register. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. And I think, I think we're very hard on ourselves, where actually I do think that, I think we could do more, don't get me wrong. I yeah. think we are very social media driven now mm. and in the moment on our devices and actually... I'll go back to being in the present and being mm. in the now and spending time with people. Just as you said that, that's exactly what I was thinking because all these things that happen around us, we'd see if we were present and we miss yeah. when we're not. The reads on people, yeah. the look in someone's face, a client who you've nearly got but not quite, but you're not, yeah. not quite listening to them. Yeah. Mm. The great thing about this interview, and I love... It makes me want to be a better person. It makes me want to go and do more of these things. Yeah. I remember reading a book called Random Acts of Kindness and yeah. I read this 11 years ago and I was just so blown away by that book because no one had ever really said to me, hey, you should just go and do random nice things. You know, it's like, we're not taught that at school, are no. we? But doing nice things for other people 
one of the greatest gifts mm. we can have. And I think we've got to remember how grateful we are. You know, like Abraham Lincoln's story. His son died when Abraham Lincoln was four. I don't know what I'd do if my... That's my biggest fear, my mm. son. Well, you know, my daughter as well, obviously. We sometimes just don't know how lucky we've got it. Yeah. Do you have a more of a sense of gratitude, having seen what you've seen? Yeah. I'm, uh, I remember going uh, to get my certificate from the commissioner, and there was a couple of people I joined as a cadet with. So I, I joined when I was 18 as a police cadet. And uh, we were talking, and I said, you know what, I'm just so grateful that I've got through the last 30 years, and I'm okay. Mm. I'm okay. Yeah, there's been some stuff that I've seen. Um, there's, I had a bad back injury in the late 90s and actually thought I was going to get cast from the job. And that was a very difficult period of my life. But, you know, here I am, 49, I have my health, I have my fitness. And you have a pension and a retirement. A pension, and you've got a new career. got some property. Yeah, you know, exactly. I'm, you're on this podcast. I'm on this podcast. You're a superstar. <laughs> a superstar. But, yeah, and I do, um, I think, being in the, being in that moment, and remembering that everybody has a story. Yeah. Amen to that. All right. Who in the world would you like to take hostage yourself? Who in the <laughs> <laughs> I've got to chuck that one in there. In and the what would be the ransom? Hostage <laughs> this is a stupid question. I did it. Uh, I would like... Do you know what? I'd really like to spend some time with Oprah Winfrey. Mm. I'd really so you'd like to like take her for a positive hostage? For a positive you hostage, take her, yeah. You're going to let her go. You're not going to yeah, charge no, her. You just like, want to yeah, spend some time with her. To spend some time and, yeah, and learn. I think I could learn a lot from her. Do you know what? She's an amazing woman, and mm. I think the same thing. I've been listening to her audios quite recently. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she was abused, yep. raped. When she, was, um, she had a baby and lost a baby. Mm -hmm. And uh, you get a real sense that she cares, she cares for people. She's very spiritual. Yeah. Um, Oprah or anyone who knows Oprah, if you're watching, <laughs> you've done everything in your life except be on this podcast. This will complete you. Yeah. Um, and there's two of us who will take you hostage yeah, for a yeah, day. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what a great answer that is. And I love the way you just elegantly spun that around. Because I was asking, for, you know, you, you, you just you can't be horrible to anyone. All right, look, I'm, I'm going to ask you one more question. I'm yeah, so sure. grateful for your time. This no, has been brilliant. Pleasure. I could have stayed here all day. Um, this podcast is called The Disruptive Entrepreneur, mm. as you know, and um, I'm very grateful that you're an avid listener of the podcast as well. Um, so what does that word, disruptive, mean to you? So I think it's about challenging people and making them more self-aware. I've certainly found this when I've taught people um, communication skills, is that every, everybody thinks that they know how to communicate and they come with a preconceived idea and suddenly you flip it, you turn it on their head and, and they're like, wow. And there's that like, aha moment. So it's getting people to be really aware of how they're acting and to change. Mm. And just to say, just because we've always done it this way doesn't make it right. Yeah, love that. So uh, interrupting a pattern, yeah. a perceived yes. notion. Yeah. 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 Changing that habit. Yeah, love it. And finally then, where can people now follow you? Because I'm hoping, I'm hoping <laughs> you're going to do loads of books. We're yeah. going to see audios from you and, you know, all this knowledge you've built in the last 30 years. Mm. You're going to pass on. I'd love to do some work with you on that in the future. Yeah, definitely. So where can we follow you? Where do you want us to go? So I've just started doing some podcasts. Excellent. Yeah. Ah. So um, We've got, we got 1.4 million <laughs> listeners now or subscriptions. Yeah. Um, so... Wow, you might wow. get a few. Go on Gosh, then. that would be good. Uh, it's the Communication Coach podcast oh. on Stitcher and iTunes. Yeah. Um, Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you. I, I think um, you, do, you did have a small hand in that. 
Oh, great. I have to give you some praise for that. What about all yeah. the praise? <laughs> no, no, no. I'll give you some. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. Um, and I'm on Twitter at Nikki Combs Coach. So yeah. that's, and Nikki is N I C K Y and it's C O M M S right. Coach. And I have a Facebook page, The Communication Coach. Okay, that's so that's where you can find me. Future work yeah. is all about communicating better. Communicating, helping people to change patterns of behaviour, becoming more self-aware, yeah. better relationships, especially between parents and kids. I think that's a real... Yeah. We have a lot to learn. Yeah, it's funny, that. you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, you can't learn anything about being a parent. Your baby comes along, you just got to do... I thought, that's the worst advice yeah. ever. You can learn a heck of a lot. Yeah. 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 All right, Nikki, look, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank, thank you. you.